Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Ryan Keeling and I'm the editor at Resident Advisor. In the most competitive clubbing market in the world, the Hydra has stood tall by championing diversity. The London event series is the brainchild of Dolan Bergen and AJ Jayaram, who came together last year to create a season of parties that showcase some of dance music's best labels and promoters. Their stories up to that point reflected the shifting tides of London's club scene. Jayaram worked for a decade at the end, the much-loved London club that, along with many other venues in the city, closed its doors in 2009. Bergen, meanwhile, started his Electric Minds parties back in 2005. He utilised disused spaces in East London until increasing pressure from local authorities meant a migration to the warehouses and lofts that have recently become so prevalent in London. As they get into the swing of their latest season, I sat down with them to discuss the next big shifts in the scene and the hyper-competitive world of London event promotions. So I just wanted to start, you recently launched your latest event series, which I would have been guess would have been in the last month. Is that right, AJ? Uh, the, the very first night was Friday, the t- sorry, yeah, Saturday even, the 24th of August. 24th uh, with the, of August. With the blueprint. Okay. So we, we, we launched on the August bank holiday weekend, um, as we did last year, uh, with a double header blueprint. Um, and running back okay. this year. How did it go? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty fraught with um, challenges and, and difficulties and, and uh, massive stress. But um, overall, uh, I think it went I think it went pretty well. What was the main stress? Would you say uh, that particular evening? Just the dynamic between Dolan and I. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know we we, we it, it's hard. You know, we, we, we work really hard to try and get everything, um, you know, dear to certain sort of values in terms of sound, operation, um, programming, pr- promo, the whole thing. You know, we're a two-man operation putting together just shy of 20 events. So um, there are other people involved, but fundamentally it's Dolan and I really sort of driving everything. So, um, you know, on event weekend, um, you know, I think in, in, for the electric and blueprint we had 17, 1800 people. We had about 800, 900 foot for uh, running back. It's a lot of people to try and um, keep happy, if, yeah. if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, sure. So um, it's it, it's a mission, but um, you know we're, we're quietly confident that we're, um, we're capable of, 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 of doing a good job, um, and, and hopefully that came through that weekend. Really. Um, sorry, go on, Dan. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that there's also like implications of, of using um, two venues across two nights so one in South London and then straight to East London on, on the day afterwards and uh, it's just a small things really of just managing that between the two places and uh, 
yeah, as you say, a bit of a stress, but it went it went really well, I think, in the end. Like, both, both were full and there was no ma major hiccups, so that was the main thing. Um, oh, everyone cool. seemed pleased with it. So, um, Could you, maybe for people who are not as aware of what you do, could you kind of summarise this, um, you know, seasonal approach and just, um, you know, tell us about your kind of mission statement and how these things play out for you? If we go further back a little bit to, to, to the first year and, and, and um, you know, the Hydra in 2012, um, really that, that was a case of Dolan and I bringing together label showcases, events that we'd both been working on and, and, and were looking to work on. And um, really it just seemed like um, an interesting idea to bring them together all under one banner. Um, so first year was obviously kind of a case of setting out our stall, but this year really... Um, I guess it was about consolidation, um, was about, um, scaling up to, to a degree, you know, within reason, um, working with the people that, um, we enjoyed working with and the events that worked last year, um, and adding a few, few new, um, hopefully exciting and interesting, um, bits in, in, into the mix. Um, so I think, I think, I think we kind of achieved that there, there are, you know, almost, um, 50% more events this year. Um, I guess another feature of, of what happened last year, really, and this was um, this was serendipity more than design, but it's something we talked about a bit. But it's the fact that we originally started off planning on doing the whole series at Hackney Down Studios, which is incredible um, space um, in London. But um, we we actually found out sort of a month before we launched the series last year that it wasn't going to be possible. Um, yeah, it, it ended up being a case of of us sort of having to move those twelve events into into various clubs and spaces all over London, and okay. um, for th for this year, really, um, a similar ish kind of thing happened with um, uh, studio spaces in Wapping, which was uh, had been a sort of home for us with with a few events, and plan was to do the bulk of the events this year there, and um, we had a licensing application, uh, unfortunately, it was rejected, um, so we ended up using lots of different venues again this year, and. That's kind of become um, a USP of sorts, really. Like I say, not not by design, but um, I, I think it's interesting the way that's evolved. And and um, you know, we do our best to make sure that every venue we 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 go into, we you know, we 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 make it the way we want it to be. If it was um, if it was our own venue, mm. really. I guess one of the striking things from the outside about the series is um, the way that it's largely based around record labels. What's kind of behind that decision? Like, where does that model come from for you guys? Uh, I, th I think personally, um, a large part part of that is is just my own background in this industry, and you know something that we did a lot at the end. Um, and I kind of also think that um, labels and and you know the producers who who, who work together and, and release some records, you know, it's kind of a gang, it's kind of a tribe, and I think people sort of subscribe to those tribes and gangs and, and identify with them. Um, and it certainly, um, for us in any case, it certainly distinguishes what we do uh, from, I guess, a lot of other nights where um, a promoter may, you know, you know, it's absolutely great to do this, but a promoter may choose to have uh, his or her sort of favourite DJs and, and people who, who they're following at a given moment in time, bringing those together. Um, but I think with the label stuff, um, it kind of happens sort of, ostensibly more organically because these people have sort of worked together and so they kind of I guess they, they feel a desire to want to do things together and that actually helps us to put put the events together in the way that we want because we work very collaboratively with all of the labels all of the artists 
Um, and ultimately, I think it ends up with us providing something a little bit different. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned the end there and sort of um, your background. Can you tell us a little bit about um, sort of where you've come from and what's got you up to this point? Yeah. Um, so I I started at the end in, in 2000 um, as, as the office junior. And I was uh, I was pretty lucky actually. A couple, couple of things a couple of things happened uh, quite early on. Um, the first was that the the head programmer at the time, a girl called Charlotte, who was working with Leo very closely on everything, she she left to uh, take a role at MTV. Within a year of um, of sort of being office junior, I was kind of um, sort of fast tracked into the uh, into the promotions side of things and, and the programming side of things, uh, and then. Probably about about six months after that, uh, as a result of the success of of, of Low Life um, and I guess Love Story, um, Leo and Matt, Leo and Bushwacker, um, they signed to Excel, and what that meant was that uh, Leo's sort of workload um, increased exponentially, and, and his his you know his DJ schedule went through the roof. He was they were both playing every Friday, every Saturday, every weekend, lots of festivals, trips to Brazil. Um, you know they were super busy, so. Um, his commitments were stretched. Also, I had to record a, a, a new album as well. Mm. So, um, as a result of that, I kind of had to step up a little bit and um, took on more programming responsibility. Um, and you know, it was a great opportunity for me. I'll always be grateful for that. And and I guess you know, it it required a lot of trust from him. Um, but I kind of like to think that I engendered that trust in as much as I, um, I had a deep love of music, which he was aware of, probably a little bit nerdy as well, which kind of helps. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of ended up doing the programming in that way. Um, and soon enough, I had more or less complete autonomy, which was, uh, you know, amazing, really. Um, and I was at the end until it closed. Um, so I was there for about 10 years. Um, and then uh, after that... One of my colleagues there, Ryan, we, uh, one of the things that came out of, of, of the close was that uh, Ryan and I had to tell all of the people that we'd sort of booked in for various nights what was happening. And, and you know, a nice thing really to come with that for us was the fact that a lot of them asked us, you know, what are you guys doing? Are you planning on promoting? Are you going to carry on? And if so, then, um, you know, we'd love to work with you, which, which is great for us. So that was kind of the catalyst for us setting up We Fear Silence. Um, we uh, we did that for about a year, completely independently. It's you know kind of similarly to now at various London uh, London venues, um, but it was it was extremely difficult. The recession had kicked in fully by then. Um, you know, some some parties we were making money, some parties we were losing money. Um, it was it was hard going, mm-hmm. uh, and in a sense, what kind of bailed us out. And I actually also like to think we kind of bailed them out as well. But um, we were approached by cable. Uh, who asked us to um, basically? They asked us to get involved because you know they they they'd had a team in place uh, that had a fairly sort of inauspicious start, unfortunately. But um, one of the things they said to us was that when when the team originally discussed what they wanted to do, what their ethos was going to be, that apparently unanimously they kind of said that uh, they wanted it to be to, to fill the gap at the end, effectively. So um, they approached us about more or less doing that, and they kind of you know they kind of gave us the keys. Keys to the Ferrari um, and um, free reign to go in and and, and kind of create a, a nightclub in our own image, if you like, which for Ryan and I was just um, incredible. Um, so we gave it a shot. 
uh, Ryan took on the operations side of things. I kind of carried on with um, the programming and prom- you know promotions. We 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 put a team together, um, and we did that for a while. Um, and you know, I think you know, I think we had certain successes. We we had a very strong um, residency that we brought in with Blueprint. Um, Deviation came in, Swamp eighty one. Um, Shogun Audio, Butters. There were some interesting keynotes there, and, and really reflected the kind of um, across the board ethos of what we had always wanted to do with with We Fear Silence. Um, I suppose latterly, really, what happened was, um, you know, the, these are, these nights, as, as, you know, as is the case with most stuff that we, we currently do. Dola and I, um, they're a niche of a niche. No one's sort of making a fortune here. As a business, it's very difficult to um, to sustain that. So. In the end, after sort of much deliberation and discussion, I ended up leaving uh, in October of uh, last year, year before would have been 2011. Two, yeah, 2011. Yeah. Um, and then shortly after that is is, is kind of when we, we set up Broken and Uneven and, and the Hydra. And what actually happened was Dolan, uh, Dolan actually approached Cable um, probably July of that year. Uh, about bringing Oscar Ton to the venue. Um, unfortunately, his, his, his venue had fallen through. Um, something's never changed, obviously. Uh, but his venue had fallen through. And um, so we sort of worked together on that event. Um, went really well. Uh, Dale and I struck up a friendship. We, we realised we had a similar outlook on, on music and, and, and the way that the industry and, and this kind of our, our side of things work. Um, and, yeah, like I say, we, we had... We both had a, f- a few things we were working on in terms of either label showcases or, or, or events or brands or whatever. And we also had a few things that we both wanted to work on. Um, and it was just a natural alliance, I think. You know, we we, uh, we we dovetail very well. You know, Dolan's really, really good at things I'm utterly hopeless at. Such um, as? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not very well organised. Okay. <laughs> um, Dolan's a machine when it comes to things like that. Um, absolutely next level but it, it really works in, in 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 that sense so um you know pulling our ideas together and and, and you know working together on a business and, and and ultimately on this series felt like um felt like the right thing to do i think yeah sure um dolan can you tell us a little bit about electric minds which i think in london is the um you know is the name the umbrella term that most people associate you with sure. um and how, how long when did that all uh start for you um I'm just trying to think what year it started. Um, it's about seven years old. Okay. And um, where we are in Dawson now, at the moment where the off- your offices are, I used to live just across the road. And it was Dawson was a different place back then. You know, there was a lot of free parties. You could put on parties and you wouldn't really get too much of a problem. Um, and I lived in a big warehouse just over the road. And I um, initially set it up with a friend as a free party. We had a big warehouse, two floors, eight of us living there. And... Um, I just found the name of a record, an old like Boogie Records. It's quite liked it. It's by it was called Electric Minds, or it was by Electric Minds, and we were, you know, in a rush to find the name for a party we put on. It was a free event, and we did it. And um, just from like word of mouth or an email, about a thousand people turned up. And um, for the first event, yeah, wow, like okay. it was a friend's birthday, and it was you know like it was a community in Dalston. Everything was like warehouses. If we weren't having a party, then there'd be someone else. Like every weekend, you could find something. It's different now, you know, the, I won't bore you all about it, but, you know, there's rules and regulations that didn't really exist then. So so after I um, did a few parties at my house, um, the people that I lived with, you know, they couldn't sustain that for much longer. 
Um, so I looked for elsewhere, and in East London at the time, there was a lot of empty spaces, especially in Dalston, even up to Limehouse. You could you could find places, and it was a very simple matter of applying for a small license, and you could put on a party. So Electric Minds started from there. I was also working with some producers at the time, and it made sense to start a record label. Like it was all one thing, and uh, it was fun. You know, we did a party every now and then. Every now and then, we did a record, and that went on for a while i had a few problems sometimes with the police you know sometimes it'd come down but it it seemed to be quite easy to do not easy it was very stressful but it was you could continue this series of parties every now and then and use different spaces like an empty church a warehouse a basement um and that went on for a while i'm just trying to think when i i, I had a friend that i lived with who had a studio in shoreditch and that's when it really started to become more of a a regular thing we started doing a series of parties in this loft space in Shoreditch and that that was incredible it holds like 250 300 people and I just decided one year rather than doing these small bookings every now and then why not do a series of events and announce in January seven eight dates for the whole year so that's when we started getting people in like Move D Tony Leone I think Marcus Wargall and Christopher Rao like it was just people that were willing to play in a space like that and maybe not so much for the money, but more for the party, really. Mm. It was good and it got a good reputation. Um, and I did did that for a while and I was happy to do that. I was working full time. It was kind of something I did outside of work. But then things became a bit more serious and I enjoyed it. I wanted to do it more and more. And um, shortly before I met AJ, I started working with Ali from Warm. We started to up the game, do these bigger events, start working with people like Lovebox. I brought over Marcel Detman quite a while ago to do a comics album launch party. So there was a relationship with Oscar Ton. Um, Ali did the first Oscar Ton event at Corsica Studios. And after that, we we decided let's let's do a series of events as well as doing the warm and electric mines. Let's do, you know, Oscar Ton or we let's speak to Lovebots about doing, you know, a launch party because there's only so much you can do with electric mines or your own brand. You know, you can't have every week like electric mines of a list of DJs. And we were excited by Oscar Ton and other labels like that. So it made sense to kind of ask them and if we could like handle their London London shows. And we, we did some really amazing parties for Oscar Ton. That was a very difficult one because there was a huge amount of expectation on us because everyone thought we were trying to, you know, emulate Bergheim and Panorama Bar in London, which we weren't. We were trying to, you know, do a label showcase, but we, we turned a, an empty space in Shoreditch, the Red Gallery, into like a really amazing party a lot of trouble like you know even to the draping putting it up on the walls to the sound was good acoustics so I think from doing that we you know people were interested in working with us um and just as um Ali wanted to concentrate on his agency because he was basically working flat out I then met AJ from doing the Oscar Tonic Cable and um really was looking for someone to work with me because you can only do so much on your own and You've got to have nerves of steel really to do these things because they cost a lot of money and you need to have pool the resources. And as AJ said, it was just the right time and we met. We both were into, you know, music that we were into and it made sense. You know, AJ bringing a side of electronic music that perhaps I didn't have so much of a knowledge of, you know, he's talking about Ninja Tunes and, and you know, the guys from Deviation. It's not a million miles away from what we do, but it was stuff that was maybe not something I'd look at. And that's when the idea came to sort of do a series and pull our resources and bring in what we'd consider to be like-minded labels. There's a, we're really 
clear on who we want to work with. And there's a side of electronic music that we fair to say that we don't want to work with. Um, I think we've probably been talking for 10, 15 minutes at this point. And um, I've heard lots of words like stressful, yeah. as a pain in the ass, um, <laughs> and you know phrases to this effect. So I think my next question has to be, what is the base motivation for you guys? Like, why did you start doing this? What What is this innate desire you have to to do this? Because it, you know, ostensibly seems like yeah. one of the most stressful jobs in the world. I mean, it definitely is. Anyone that's around us will know, well, me in particular, that I'm a nightmare. When I get stressed, it's like, you know, all hell breaks loose. AJ's much calmer, and I guess the two work well together, but there's not a lot of money in this. People think that as a promoter, you're walking away with tens of thousands of pounds. You know, the, the level of money, especially doing what we're doing, is, is small, and therefore we don't have a massive team around us. It's just AJ and I, and we're lucky that we work with people on a part-time basis that are really amazing, everyone that works with us. But we have to do a lot of work, and um, I guess it, it is very competitive in London, and we're both, I'd fair, fair to say, quite competitive people, and we like to succeed. So we want to do things properly. You know, we want to... I don't know, there's a goal out there. We want to do the impossible and certainly doing a series in London when you've got other London bookings to consider um, that you may not have to do in other cities because there's not so much competition. It's almost impossible to do the series. So as soon as someone says no, then it, we want to say yes. You know, it's like, I don't know why. It's, I guess it's the makeup of, of the person. Do you feel like you have a similarly competitive streak, AJ? Um I mean, I'm not sure I'm quite as competitive as Dolan, but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, look, there, there, there's probably an element of, you know, because I've done this for a while, there's probably an element of, um, I probably can't do anything else, frankly, but um, I do think we're very privileged to, you know, to be working with music. You know, we, 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 we're both just huge fans um, of, of whatever we're into. And, um you know, people will talk to you about whether or not you know you just go and work in a bank or do something that's potentially more lucrative. Well, yeah, I'm sure both of us could could do that, and we'd earn probably more money and um, want to throw ourselves off a cliff. You know, I mean, it's it, it, we're lucky to be able to do this and, and to be able to be immersed in an industry which, um, you know, I think there's definitely something exciting about um, standing on on a, on a stage of a, of a London venue seeing Mad Mike, Robert Hood and Jeff Mills all kind of like high-fiving each other for the first time in 20 years. I mean, call me romantic, but that was kind of, kind of you know, it's kind of cool. Um, and you don't get those moments in an investment bank or or wherever. So um, there's definitely that. Um, Would you say it's quite high highs and low lows? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think so. But probably like lots of other jobs, you know, I'm sure... I'm, I'm sure that's the case with lots of other professions, but um, you know the, the highs can be really high and the lows can be soul destroying, probably. But um, you know we, we set out to do this. Um, you know, Damon's right that we're not um, we're not putting on a Vici at the O2. That we're not sort of walking away with bundles of cash. But I think we both feel that long term, um, and it, it is a long term plan. It's not a hit and run. You know, we're in this um, for a while. Hopefully that that. You know, if the, the hydrant and everything we do evolves in the right way, that um, you know, it will it will earn us a good living, and and we'll both be able to enjoy what we're doing without sort of stressing out as much as we are now, and it'll kind of plateau a little bit, you know, in that sense. Really, as AJ said, like the reason that we're in it is because you know 
we I buy records, you know, I like to DJ. That was the main interest, you know, to start off with. The, the kind of crazy competitive side is like you have to have it because it's, it's not really much a competition in terms of other promoters and clubs. It's the authorities. It's like everything goes against you sometimes to do it. So you have got to have a little bit of something to kind of get you through those crazy times because there has been moments where, you know, you've lost a venue on the day and you've got like 40 or 50,000 pounds invested in it. And like, and it, I don't know, it's, it, you just get faced with such impossible situations sometimes that there has to be a mix of like passion, competitiveness, you know, drive, all of those things to, to get you through it because, yeah, there are testing times, definitely. I mean, I also think that, you know, whether competitiveness is the right phrase or not, I'm, I'm not sure. But, you know, what one one thing that, um, you know, Dolan, uh, I, you know, and, and myself, but, you know, Dolan in particular, I guess, with, with the more off location stuff, which, you know, he's been more of a, a pioneer of almost than, than myself because I'm more used to sort of uh, licensed venues. But he's utterly uncompromising with things like sound. Um, operations, the bar team, um, just making sure that everything is of the highest calibre. Um, and, you know, not everyone uh, in London is, is is like that, unfortunately. But whether, you know, if, if that's how the competitiveness manifests itself, then I think that's a good thing. So obviously there are myriad considerations and things to think about in doing what you do. So what I'd like to know is how you would sit down and um, begin to conceive of a season of events such as the ones you put on. Like what's the starting point for you? Um, I think the starting point is like the core people that you work with. So like Electric Minds is something I've done f for a long time now. So we have our regular schedule of events that so we want to do that. Oscar Ton's pretty much been there from the beginning. You know, AJ's worked, you know, with Blueprint. There are the labels that I think will always be the core of it. Um, but really the start of it is is a bit of a brainstorm, really, isn't it? Like we, we sit down, have a list of everyone we want to work with, and then starts the work of like, of contacting labels, agents, managers, trying to put all of this together. And really, I mean, say for this year, we're in September now, the series started in August. We started working on this in November, I think, and we really only got to the point of launching a series in July, June, July. It took eight months to put together 20, 20, 23 events, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if anything, we were slightly behind uh, with things last year because the first season kind of took it out of us. But um, I think really, you know, the first port of call is, is in a sense, you know, now that we've got one under our belt is looking at how that went, looking at what worked. Um, I think it's easy to forget, you know, to consider and, and look at who we enjoyed working with. You know, mm. that's that's um, that's vitally important, I think. Did you have sort of key learnings from last year? Were there any takeaways or things that you wanted to do better? Um, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the biggest change for this year is last year was, I think, the end of, of um, the mass amount of, of warehouse off-location parties in London. I mean, I won't get into it all because every my girlfriends, AJ, everyone around me is so bored of hearing about <laughs> it. But there's been a directive from like the government to, to very tighten up on licensing. It's seen as a waste of money on public services. You know, they, they want to tighten up on it. So the biggest change this year, and actually it's been a relief really, is that we've moved away from doing warehouse parties and we're working with a group of venues in London that we consider to be to be of a really good standard and 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 you what you have with that is stability there's no risk i mean i've lost track of the amount of times now we've had a venue pulled from us on the day of an event 
you know, by working with these venues, we, we hopefully have seen the back of that. And, um, you know, that gives peace of mind to the labels we work with, with us, our sanity, you know, it can't, it couldn't continue. And I think that's a trend in London that everyone's seen. And I, I was talking to someone from New York yesterday, and I think that's actually the same things going on there as well. Um, yeah, I, I'd say it's the biggest learning curve, really, to, to get out of that. Not to dive too deeply down the um, TBA, East London sure. rabbit hole, but um, what got us to that place? Why was there such a um, pro proliferation of um, the, you know, these type of events over over the last few years? Um, I think, like, as, as AJ said, when, when the end shut, there was, a, I mean, a, this has been covered a lot of times. There was a lot of nightclubs in London and those options have gone. So it propelled everyone to want to use their own space. It's also fun. It's a bit edgy. You know, people wanted that kind of edginess. But I mean, after a few years, you know, the simple things like, you know, good toilets, air conditioning, all that kind of stuff, people were like, okay, well, we've pretty much had enough of, of this kind of edginess because there's no facilities. And, you know, licensed venues might, might not have that excitement, but they have everything else. And I think people are starting to realize that now. And, uh, I think it's a good thing, but then it's a bad thing. You know, it does lose its creativity. We've had some, I mean, amazing events. The one that we did last year at Hacky Downs for Oscar Ton and Substance, I think, I don't think will be seen for a while, you know. So it loses that, but then, you know, it's a safe environment, at least for everyone now. And it gives us some stability. I hate to talk about the money, but financially you can't do 25 events and have risk losing a venue for them all. We'd never, we'd never be able to do it again. And what about this the sort of what I would consider to be um, a slightly newer model where you do work seasonally, you're working in blocks of events, you've seen things, things like the um, warehouse project in Manchester, like what's kind of given rise to this, um, this different way of doing things, do you think? Um, I think certainly in London, everything is seasonal and you look at the way electronic music's gone, you know, January, everyone goes to Mexico for a festival. March is Miami, you know, then then the Croatia and Ibiza kicks off. Um, for us, I've always found winter and autumn to be a really good time to do events. People are, you know, the festival season's behind them, they've recharged and then it's kind of heads down really if people want to go out and, you know, they're in London and they're, they're ready to do it. I suppose on the face of it, when, when you, in the, in the context of um, this conversation and obviously what the Warehouse Project have achieved over 10, 10 years, is it? Um, I think, I think you know, it might, it might appear to be the case that, that the back end of the year is sort of top loaded with, with events. But you know, outside of, of our series, maybe in motion, I suppose you could throw into that category. I don't think, I don't think there are loads of, of series that take place like that in the UK necessarily. And also, you know, increasingly you need to avoid the summer like the plague because there mm. is sort of. 10 festivals a weekend all of which may have some kind of influence on on what you're doing but um do you think that that's become more so the case in the time you've been working in dance music i mean this festival has had a really really big impact on the local club scenes like in, uh, to an increasing extent yeah i mean it's um on, on so many levels just you know whether it's pulling people away from what you're doing or just the simple sort of difficulties of, of, of booking people therefore you know um what was interesting about last year was um in a new sense was sort of uh, when when we had block in in the kind of um that period of the year that, that it took place they'd ring fenced a lot of sort of DJs and artists and um understandably so but 
um, it kind of put a new complexion on the whole sort of the year because then we had to reassess the way we we're going to do things. And, you know, even things like that, I guess, may push uh, may push promoters to, to, uh, to, to the end of the year or to, to look at doing things differently. Um, but it's, it's, it's more and more tricky um, to, to, to work out how to, you know, how to, where to place everything. We, we try really hard to, um, you know, to work with the likes of, of Judy and Andy at Fabric or, um, you know, the guys at Corsica and, and, and try and, you know, help give everyone a decent stab uh, at their bookings. But um, obviously on top of that, there's, there are independent promoters who are looking to, um, you know, create new events and put on new nights. Um, it, it just makes it even more complicated. It's very, very saturated at the moment, um, which makes things hard. Mm. I mean, taking something of a, a step back, you say the market's saturated. Do you think London's a sort of good place to go out for a clubber at the moment, generally speaking? I mean, yes and no. I, th- I think, uh, which is obviously a total cop out. <laughs> I think, I think it. You know, you could argue that uh, London's kind of on its ass because. Um, as we were talking about a minute ago, you know, those, you know, we lost the end, we lost turnmills, um, the King's Cross venues, you know, Key, Canvas, the Cross, um, even more recently Matter and, and Cable. Um, they were all venues of a certain standing and, and arguably none of those have been adequately replaced. Um, and then, you know, we're talking about the off-location thing. If, if that is dying down now, then it's kind of like, you know, outside of, you know, the, the key... Strongholds in London, Fabric, Ministry, um, and, and I don't know, the likes of maybe um, XOI or, or Fire that are kind of in the ascendancy, I guess. Um, you know, there's not an awful lot there. And this is London. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a key territory. Um, conversely, I do think that whilst the venue situation isn't great, um, the music situation, I think, is. You know, I think... Um, you know, there's more interesting, um, you know, diverse, uh, you know, cutting edge uh, music coming from this city or the UK in general, Bristol maybe, um, than arguably there's ever been. So, you know, your experience going out um, it can can still be, you know, can still be really enjoyable. Like how much of a factor is dealing with local authorities and the police in London? Um, yeah, it's basically become more and more of, of an issue really you have to work very closely with them and and I guess in some respects rightly so because you're you're responsible for you know x amount of people and obviously you want to make sure that everyone's safe and having a having a good time but the essence of a party is there has to be some kind of hedonism in there and you you, you get away from your week and you want to lose your well, you want to lose yourself for the night because you're you know you're stressed you work everyone's in jobs that sometimes they don't particularly like and they're basically, you know, asking us now to put such controls on it that, that that you'll lose that factor. So, you know, you don't want to go to a venue and and, and be fully searched at the door with metal detectors. And um, it, I don't know, it just doesn't really, it's, it's not part of the party, really. And, um, you know, we've just got back from Dimensions Festival, which they had like the most amazing sound systems we've ever really heard out, outside. And... Um, that's because you know the Croatian authorities are perhaps a bit more lenient with with um, with that side of things. But if you go to a festival in England now, you know everyone moans about the festival organisers saying, "Oh, they haven't put in a good enough sound system." But the fact of the matter is, you've got ten council officials sitting outside the festival with um, DB meters, ready to you know 
whack a £50,000 fine on the organisers if they go over a certain level. I, I just think it's, it's become got a bit out of control. Like in 20 years, you know, that I've been going to events, I don't think we've progressed any further with dealing with the authorities. In fact, I think there's more restrictions now on nightlife than there was 20 years ago, which is quite a sad state of affairs, really. I mean, can you see that only getting worse? Is is that a, kind of a, a long-term worry for for what you do? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know too much about it, but we've got a conservative government and, you know, this comes from the top somewhere. You know, there's whatever way you look at it, there's increased pressures on, on the nightlife, be that noise levels, environmental health, um, you know, what, what searches you have to have at the door, you know, I mean, what you actually have to do with people if, if, if they, you know, might do break the law inside the club, you know, you're basically being asked to hand them over to the police, um, which is which, which is a bit upsetting, to be honest, because, you know, you don't want, you know, you're organising something that's supposed to be fun. And obviously you have safety in mind for people, but we do expect people to have, you know, make up their mind about a few things. And um, yeah, I think I don't know what's to come in the future, but it would seem having talking to other London venues that everyone's facing, you know, serious pressure at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it would, it comes across, you know, everything that's, that's been mentioned there and the state of affairs generally, it kind of comes across as a bit um, sort of draconian, the, the measures that have been taken, but, and, you know, some of them you, you, you do sort of, you do sympathize with and understand, but at some point, um, as with many sort of things like this, I suppose common sense has to prevail. And, um, you know, people want to go out, they want to listen to music, they want to dance, they want to, um, they want to enjoy themselves. And if that's being prohibited by measures that are simply over the top, then, um, that's just a real shame. Do you think there's a lack of dialogue and understanding between the two sides? Uh, uh, almost certainly I'd have thought so. I mean, uh, you know, the recent clampdown, if you, if you like, is almost a case of them just suddenly um, realising that there are a lot of off-location events going on in the sense that it hadn't been monitored up until now and, you know, the, the boroughs aren't talking to each other and suddenly, um, lo and behold, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a mild panic because, um, you know, the, the penny's dropped. Mm. Do you feel as though um, working in more regular, well, working in stable venues is um, a little bit easier in this respect? Like, are you under less pressure than if you're um, going with the TBA model? Um, I'm actually quite surprised this year because when we announced TBA venues for, you know, labels like Innovisions and Oscar Tan and everyone else we work with, the amount of dialogue, especially on like resident advisor on the forums was unprecedented really for some of them. Just to clarify, that was in reaction to some of these? Well, you know, guessing where the venue is. Oh, and, I see. Right, and, okay. And it wasn't a game that we wouldn't tell people. We we, we had to move venues sometimes four or five times before the before we even announced it. So it was very stressful. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it is a consideration, definitely. Um, and I think this year when we've announced uh, all of the venues, there hasn't really been much of a reaction in terms of like people, you know, negatively commenting. Everyone, I think, sort of appreciates it and knows where they're at. We can announce the venue. They can plan their travel if they've got to book a hotel. And then, and we've picked good venues, I think. Everyone's happy with them so far. Yeah, and I think also, um, you know, in terms of that sort of feedback, and, we, you know, all feedback is, is all sort of constructive feedback is, is welcome. But um, 
you know, I, th- I think with established licensed venues, you know, there's there's only so much that we can do to try and get them to the level that we feel that they should be. So any criticism leveled uh, um, at a, sp- a specific, you know, space is, is it, I guess it feels more that we don't have to shoulder the full burden of that, you know, um, which does take the pressure off a little bit because, you know, as you, you'll know better than us, Ryan, it's sometimes the, the forums just, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty vitriolic and, and, and um, intense. Well, I did want to talk to you about that because, um, I mean, I, I guess I just want to know how disheartening is that to you as a promoter to, to browse like a resident advisor forum, Fred? And, yeah, um, I mean, I think, you know, D- Dylan and I probably share slightly different um, opinions to a degree on this uh, in as much as, you know, my... my when we're at the end, we, we, and this is, you know, with respect, we, we generally didn't really read the forums at all. Um, it was, it wasn't sort of like a company wide kind of, uh, maxim or anything like that, but it was more a case of just, you know, we were heads down very much a case of, you know, let's just crack on and do what we do and not worry too much about, um, trolls or, or anything like this. And, and that's not to say the feedback isn't welcome as I say, but I think it's more a case of if you, if you, if you pay too much attention to, um, the negative feedback on, on a forum, you know, all you need is probably three people commenting negatively on the same thing before it actually feels like everyone who attended that party feels the same way about it. And, and, and that is disheartening because, you know, as, as we've, mentioned in this discussion we you know we do put a lot into it so it at that level it's hard to, to sort of not take it personally um so I, I try and personally try and steer clear of the forums you, you won't really see me on there um Dylan's very much the voice um on on the forums and and you know he, he'll he'll he, he fights our corner and, and does so really well I think but um I think sometimes it just feels a little bit, bit, bit like the comments being made are either sort of willfully kind of incendiary or, or, or you know, deliberately trying to provoke um, because you can tell quite often that a comment's been made um, without actually either thinking it through in terms of what's gone on or just, you know, from a position of, of kind of blind ignorance almost because, um, and what's nice is when they get found out by other people on the forum. Um, there was something really nice recently actually, and it must have been, after the uh, the blueprint event where um a handful of people were basically sort of uh, someone had made a comment about the sound which is you know a hugely subjective thing anyway but um a group of people started commenting on the fact that you know well at least someone is putting these events on in london and you know whoever had made that comment is only on the forum and only went because they were interested in what we were doing and it's it was a just an, a really nice kind of unique bit of solidarity that i don't think we see enough on the forum sadly it's, I, I think it's quite good to engage sometimes. And like, there's been a few occasions where I just think some stuff's been written is so unjust. Like, I just can't help myself almost than to like answer the points because, you know, why wouldn't you? You know, you've put all this time and effort into it. And, you know, it would be silly of us to think that people would think about all the efforts go into it but yeah i mean i guess yeah. this is now a sort of modern reality of being a promoter isn't yeah. it it's the it's the instant feedback yeah and like but but that is the primary reason i look at it for feedback you know it's good to hear why um people enjoyed it or didn't enjoy it and most of the you know most of it's actually true you know we when we haven't been happy with things it's echoed in what we hear online so yeah i mean it's 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 good really i mean i i, I obviously there's been a few comments where greats but 
but I think it's good to engage. So I just wanted to um, kind of look to the future a little bit. I just wondered how you kind of see what you're doing developing. Obviously, you've got your next few months lined up, but how far can you take this? Like, how far do you plan to take this? Have you thought that far ahead? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have. Um, the thing that's lacking in London is big venues. We, you know, we're really happy with what we've done this year, and we hope that we can, you know, do that next year and come up with some more interesting ideas. Um, we'd definitely like to do some few shows, not not loads, but you know, two or three that are going to be big. Um, but you're very restricted in London with the venue situation at the moment. I think it'd be nice to have options of three, four, five thousand people. Um, there are certainly shows where you you could probably, you know, afford to invest in that, and you know that there'd be exciting shows to do. But there really is only two, maybe three venues that that have the capacity to to do those shows, and um, usually they're restricted to like three o'clock in the morning, and and that's not what people want. They want to be able to go out till six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Um, so we're looking at that now and hopefully we can we can do that for next year. Yeah, I mean, we, we're literally just getting into sort of ideas for programming for next year as, as we speak. But I think it'll, it'll sort of really, it'll be a case of, you know, let's say we, we um, do 25, 26 events next year, then it, I think it'll be a case of a handful of those being hopefully quite large, um, some in the middle, maybe some really quite small. But um, the the... the the conceit really will be to to um, pick up from where we you know we'll have left off at the end of this year, um, and just see what else is you know what else is going on at the end of the year. We'll reflect upon how the year's been musically, um, as we were saying earlier. We'll, we'll, we'll take a view on the things that work, but also you know I think with each year we wanna we wanna keep it fresh. We wanna keep doing new and interesting things. Um, you know I suppose. That, that, if you're operating at a level like the warehouse project, for example, um, it's, it's, it must be so difficult to try each time to, to sort of do a series of that scale and, and, and keep it completely different year after year. It's, I mean, it's impossible, really. Um, I think perhaps because we're, you know, we're quite a bit smaller at the moment, uh, you know, we can still, uh, we can still, still sort of flex in that way. But, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's a long-term plan, as we were saying before, hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll, get five years under our belt and then um, and then maybe look at completely flipping the script and doing something totally different, but within the same sort of framework. The the benefit or what it became about with using all lots of different venues is they're all of different sizes. There's lots of labels that we like and that was the reason why we wanted to do this series because there's lots of music that we love and some of it isn't suitable for a venue of a thousand people. So we can use different venues and we can still work with small labels and we can still work with the bigger ones and, you know, hopefully there is that kind of um, eclectic feel to the series and certainly something that is perhaps not always represented in London. Um, so hopefully there's room room for it all, basically, for next year. Do you feel as though there are still people out there in London who want to open new venues? Yeah, I, I mean, we would like to, you know. Um, but again, the amount of money needed, you know. Is it just a little bit out of reach at the moment, do you feel? Definitely. Um Unless you have an investor, I mean, it's bad enough for people in London at the moment trying to buy a house, you know, to go to a bank and speak to them and say, we want to open up a nightclub, probably one of the riskiest businesses. Can you lend us half a million, probably more, million pounds? You know, you, it, it, I don't even know where you'd start with that. We have looked into it. Um, it, it there is definitely a need for it. And, you know, It's a tall order trying to persuade an investor to um, 
invent uh, invest in a nightclub uh where you know they may ask you what sort of thing are we talking about and you say to them well um one week we might have karen live i mean it means nothing to to the majority of people with with the kind of funds or or even desire to to invest in something like that if um if we told them perhaps that um we do a lot of edm then that might you know change the, the playing field but um yeah you know i think what we the the, off, the level we're operating at and the kind of music that we we're into and we promote um doesn't necessarily lend itself to the sort of confidence that would uh, get us get us enough money to 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 have a club built but just as a compromise to that actually um something that AJ and i have done and we mentioned it earlier is we've been working with a studio that um started off with electric mines a small loft studio and the owner's taken on a separate building in Wapping and it, it's kind of a compromise to getting a venue that we've had to work with someone who, who has a photographic studio Monday to Friday and we're able to go in and offer you know our services to turn turn that into an event space at the weekend. So that will hopefully be our way of, of um, working with a venue and, and we were already did a number of shows this year there and we've got some coming up for the season and that's really going to be a, a core basis for the series next year. It, it provides us, you know, a space where we can work with someone we trust um, and, and some stability again. And, it, and it, that's the one space that we've got really that's kind of still the warehouse pop-up events because it, it has got good facilities, but it's an empty space and we're able to roll in our production there um, when we do those events. So what would a fantasy venue look like for you guys? As in which clubs do we like? Which clubs inspire us? <laughs> I mean, you're given a blank check. What are you, what are you setting up? <sighs> We, um, we talked about this in the past and we were looking at some spaces. I mean, you know, it would be nice to have a big club, you know, because, you you know, there's nothing better than having like a couple of thousand people there. But I just think getting a club in London, it's like four or five hundred people, maybe with a second room. If you could get that right and just have the, the best sound, I think that's what London really needs at the moment. It's just having somewhere with a consistent, consistent lineups, good sound. And and maybe an easyish location to reach, then that would that would be that would be brilliant. I kind of feel like that there, there there isn't a club uh, in London at the moment which sort of fills the the gap between um, small sort of intimate uh, kind of clubbing experience um, and the, the, you know the larger kind of um, night out that you'd have at Fabric or, or Ministry, and and you know every 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 everyone's got its place, but. Um, I think, you know, if we could find or if someone built something that kind of sat nicely between the two with, with all the things we've discussed, great programming, great sound. Yeah, I kind of feel like there's a gap there that, that needs to be um, needs to be either exploited or fulfilled. Sort of in summary to, to kind of bring things to a close, what would you say is the biggest challenge you face as being a promoter in London in 2013? Uh, I think... And and it's 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 a very broad area, but um, bookings uh, are are increasingly difficult because um, obviously we discuss sort of London and and markets generally just being saturated. But also, you know, we, we currently you can you can uh, record or release a twelve inch, which is sort of fairly well received, and by the end of that week, you'll have a manager. And you'll probably be on a thousand pounds for like an hour's work, um, and you know it's not the case with everyone, but there's there's a kind of element of that happening um, more and more. And 
it makes things very difficult for Dale and I because um, you know we want to book things that we're into, and, uh, but that are at a certain level, uh, and you know we, we can't support the sort of fees that some of these people want because um, we're supporting them in the sense that we're trying to put them on hopefully high profile shows, but um, you know if 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 the money is so high that we can't actually book a more sort of I guess recognised headliner. Um, then um, you know the event itself won't work from a financial perspective or culturally or anything like this. So um, it's becoming difficult with the sort of everyone has a manager kind of culture, and that you know in tandem with that is is you know the way that certain um, certain agents operate. Really, um, you know we we've had agents quote us fees which are you know completely arbitrary without any um, consideration of the artist's profile or their, you know, current standing or their, their release schedule or what they've got coming up or anything like that. Um, it's just a kind of pie in the sky sort of figure because an agent wants uh, better money than they've been offered and the manager's perhaps saying the same thing. Now, that's not to say that, um, you know, all agents and all managers are like that, they're, they're not, but there are pockets here and there um, which, you know, make it really difficult. So, um I don't know. I think I kind of feel, and we kind of feel like um, something needs to change. That you know, there needs to be a little bit more. Um, there needs to be more appreciation of the fact that um, you know some of the events that, as an artist, you 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 could do might serve your career um, better than than um, actually just asking for a bit of extra cash at the time, which um, you know clearly won't. Do you feel as though a little bit the um, hype? PR marketing um, kind of bubble is inflating prices. Do you think that it's um, in some ways distorting the fees that people are uh, maybe requesting? Um, yeah, I think definitely. And like, you only have to look at what's happening at the moment. You just keep hearing like, there's this thing about EDM, you know, America's blowing up and, you know, there's dollar signs everywhere. And, you know, certain people will want to obtain that and that's fine, you know, like go for it. When AJ said earlier, you know, like when you've got someone that's starting out, you know, we understand how much time goes into making that record in order to do your gig on a Saturday night and earn that thousand pounds. But it's, you know, it's about working with people from the beginning. Like we've worked with artists that, you know, started off earning on small fees and we've 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 grown with them. You know, we we keep up with it as their profile raises and we we, we you know we we go with that. It's just there's always going to be an element where people just want the money and you know that's not really what we've ever been about we we work hard at what we do and um we'd hope that in london the events that we do people would want to be part of them it's not necessarily just about a blank checkbook and as aj mentioned earlier you know no one's really millionaires from this you know far from it it's, it's a difficult game to be in